Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Abraham's life had previously consisted of the tangible and known. Today, we'll see how he gave up that life for a life of faith, believing and trusting a God he could not see because he considered the call of God greater than anything he might give up. Here is part two of Cheryl's message titled, It Begins with a Call. In chapter 13, we also see that the call means letting God choose your inheritance for you. Rather than like Lot, who chose for himself, verse 11, chapter 13, the plain of Jordan. Abram didn't get the first choice. He got the second choice, cost. Chapter 14, we realize that the call will mean driving out the oppressors, driving out the possessors. Abram and his 318 trained servants were called to go against an aggressive army of four kings. So the call of God is not without cost. I was watching an interview with Rosario Butterfield, and she used to be a professor at Syracuse University in New York. And she was, um, she had tenure, she had just a lot of um, clout at this college, and she taught on feminism, and that was her specialty. And she owned a home with her lesbian partner. And she would write just these snarky um, articles for the newspaper and different papers on the church and against Christians. And she would get different responses. And she said she had two piles, the mean pile and the supportive pile. And she just would place it. And then she got a letter from a pastor, and she didn't know what pile to put it in. Because it wasn't mean, and it wasn't supportive. It was neither. It was a challenge. Would you just be willing to talk? Um, Your ideas are well thought out, but I think that there's more conversation and discussion that should take place. So she decided to take this pastor up on it, sit on her desk for a while, and she called him up. He invited her to dinner at his house with his wife and family. And an improbable Friendship developed, and she would just once a week go over with her partner, and they would eat with this pastor. And he would talk about the Word of God, and he would just have conversations with them, and he would listen. And he would challenge her in the most loving, gracious way. And then one week, he challenged her to come to church. And she talked about sitting outside of her car parking as far away from the church as she could, but still having it in sight, not in the church parking lot. 
and about the whole debate and arguing with herself if she should go in. And finally, she went into the church, and she just thought there was going to be something insulting, something that she could get angry about and say, see, I knew it. But there was nothing. And all the congregants were so kind and so loving to her. So she went the next week, and she went the next week. And she became convinced that Jesus was real, and he was the Son of God. She knew it. But she also recognized that there would be a cost. She knew that this would cost her her career. She knew it because she couldn't teach the things she was teaching. She knew it would cost her her lover. And she felt like this was the love of her life. And she knew it would cost this relationship. Thirdly, she knew it would cost her possessions because they owned everything together. But she felt the call of God so strongly. And she said that she got angry, angry that it would cost her something, that it wasn't just free, that it was going to cost her. And, and she looked at the people at the church. She said, they didn't have to pay anything to be here, but I'm going to have to pay everything. So after church, she went up and she said, what did it cost you to walk with Jesus to a man? And he said, oh, it cost me my marriage. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. She walked to somebody else. What did it cost you to be here? And they said, oh, it cost me my job. They went to somebody else. What did it cost you? It cost me my family. My parents wouldn't have anything to do with me. What did it cost you? Oh, it cost my reputation. There is a cost. Jesus said there'd be a cost. He said, nobody goes to war, but they first sit down and they see, do I have enough money to supply my soldiers, to buy the weapons I need? Nobody build a house, but they don't sit down and they count the cost, how much it's going to be. There is a cost to following Jesus. It will mean leaving. It will entail discomfort. It will require a new lifestyle. It will mean that your security will be in him rather than in the things of this earth. It will mean a new language, a new way of talking, You might say things like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory, and just shock every neighbor you have. It will mean a new identity. There will be an emotional cost, a physical cost, perhaps a financial cost, a social cost, cost of reputation. Not only that, but there's challenges to this call. In chapter 12, Abram is to claim the land of Canaan to to make altars in the land claimed by Baal. Do you realize that? He's going to go in and he's going to claim that land. And if you look at the places where he built the altar, you'll see that he was making a claim on the borders of Israel. And he's going in and he's building altars to God in the land of Baal. The whole land, the Canaanites, they all worship Baal. He was the God of agriculture. They, they felt like if they didn't worship him, there'd be bad crops. And they credited Baal with the rain and with the produce. So here is Abram. That's costly to go into a land 
where Baal is, is revered and say, I claim this for the God most high above all the earth, the real God, the true God. He builds an altar at Bethel and Ai, wherever he camps. It's an incredibly audacious act to build an altar for God in these places. Notice that Abram does not claim the land for himself or his descendants. God said I could have it. I claim it. No, he claims it for God. He brings the land his feet touch under the authority of God Most High. That's what he does. He doesn't claim it for himself, but for God. When he is in the land, a famine comes. Chapter 12. And this famine is is so severe. Here is a challenge to the life of faith. Even in the Lord's will, Even doing exactly what God says, Abram feels a shortage of food. We think, wait, 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 wait. If I'm answering the call of God, how can I feel hungry? I I shouldn't suffer want. And yet he senses this. There's no food and he's a stranger. He's a nomad. So he goes to Egypt. And in Egypt, another challenge awaits him. And the challenge is that his wife is so beautiful. I wish Brian had that challenge. (laughs) I don't know what facial cream she was using or oils. You know, maybe it's olive oil. I've started doing more olive oil, incorporating it in my diet just because of Sarah. But she's so beautiful. She's somewhere um, in her late 60s, 70s. She's so beautiful that Abram turns to her and says, look, Sarah, do me a favor. Tell people you're my sister because I'm the one with the promises. I got to preserve my life. That's exactly what he says. Here's Abram, and he's, he believes the promises of God. You know what he doesn't believe? That they include Sarah. He thinks, oh, these are my promises, and I got to help God out. And Sarah, you can sacrifice too for the promises of God to me. To me. So there are challenges. Faith is not without faltering. It does not require, it does not require perfection. Aren't you relieved? You know, God didn't say, all right, that's it. Call's coming right back to me. You gave your wife away. (laughs) What are you doing? You're in Egypt. You're giving your wife away. I turned my back for one second. This is what you do? No. And it doesn't require that we are always brave and never have a fear. In fact, what it does is it requires, it challenges us to bring every fear to God. Just bring your fears to God. Abram is afraid for his life, so he stretches the truth, and he resigns Sarah, the wife of covenant, as we'll learn in a few weeks, to the harem of Pharaoh. He he's, he's actually doesn't realize that he's jeopardizing the promises of God. He's giving the other part of the promise away to the harem of Pharaoh. In chapter 13, we realize that the, the life of faith 
requires, um, challenges us by feuding. There's feuding. And, and we tend to think if we're, if we're answering the call of God, we're all going to get along so well. Everyone's going to like everybody else. But notice, it's not Lot and Abraham that are feuding. It's those under them that are feuding. It's the servants that are feuding with each other. At times, there are needful separations. Not all separations are bad. In fact, some are necessary for peace and good relations. Some are necessary. Sometimes it's necessary to put distance in the relationship. We see in chapter 13, one of the challenges is that Abram is coming to the land of promise that God has promised him. And because of this separation, he gets second choice in the land. That Lot chooses for himself the fertile Hula Plain, the best of the land, the best that he can see. And God calls Abram to walk the length and width of the land. Now, that might not sound like a challenge, but if you're almost 80, that's a lot of walking. That's a lot of moving. You know, I used to think, oh, you know, it's not that hard to bend down and pick something up and get back up. It is now. But there's a lot of pulling up camp, a lot of packing up, a lot of settling in again, and then pulling up stakes. In chapter 14, we have the challenge that includes war and fighting. Abram must deliver his nephew Lot, who took the first choice. He's got to now protect this nephew of his who has been kidnapped by these aggressive kings. And these kings have conquered the land. Wherever they've gone, they've conquered. They've won every battle. They're like four for four. And they've been oppressive, strong. They've been able to hold on to their power. And remember, these kings, they own the land. It is potentially lethal to go against these kings. Not only because of their might and their strength, but because they rule. They have ruled in this land. They can reconnoiter, regather, and there can be a reprisal. Abram is the foreigner. They are the native dwellers. They are the occupiers and the possessors. First, Abram claimed the land for Yahweh. Now he is going to drive out the armies and powers of the oppressors and the possessors. That's a challenge. Then after the victory, there is the challenge to resist the spoil or some of the spoils as the victor. You know, there's always that subtle temptation, but you earned it. You you fought, you poor thing. You can do it. You deserve some. Like even just a little thing. I mean, think how many couldn't resist, like even Achan, who took the gold. But Abram says, I will not take from a thread to a sandal strap, from the thinnest to the thickest. I will not take anything. I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap. 
and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abram is saying, I want the testimony of God. I want only the testimony God can give me. I don't want the testimony that man can give me. You know, oh yes, we enriched Abram, or Abram is, you know, he, he's rich because he's a good fighter. He says, I don't want that reputation. I don't want that name. I don't want that enrichment. He resists. You know, I think of people who have said, I know I can't go to church anymore on Sundays, and I know my life has gotten so busy, and I can't fellowship like I used to, but once I make all the money at this new job, then I'll come back. Then I'll, I'll be such a better Christian. I've just got to make, I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says the deceitfulness of riches. Because, you know, who was it? It was Rockefeller when they asked him, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. It's never satisfying. So why, if the, if the call of God to a life of faith requires cost and, it requi- and has challenges, why? Why, why do we want to answer the phone? We see the name. And we know it's going to mean cost and requirements. Why are we going to pick up the receiver and put it to our ear? Why? Because of the promises of God and the great rewards that outweigh all the cost and challenges. Remember, God says, I will make you a great nation. God promises Abram when he has no children. Lot is gone. He promises him a heritage and a lineage. God says, I will bless you. God promises his divine favor, his divine gifts. God says, I will make your name great. Last week, we studied what a name meant to that culture. And God promises to give Abram a name. Not from the name of his country or his family, but a greater name. A name that will have a greater reputation. A name that will have a greater identity. A name with a greater worth. A name that will be inscribed in the everlasting book of life. And that thousands upon thousands will read about and want to emulate. He says, I will make you a blessing. Don't you want to be a blessing? Don't you want to be like, come sit at our table and bless us? Don't don't you, you know, want to be invited to people's houses? Because, oh, here comes the blessing. I want to be a blessing. When I was in Sunday school, it's probably because we used to sing, make me a blessing. But he says, Abram, I will make you a blessing. Wherever you go, you will bless others. They'll be glad you came. They'll be like, oh, wasn't it so glad to have Abram here? I will make you a blessing. And then he says, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. God promises to bless the friends of Abraham and to defend him against his enemies. I will do what is necessary. You know, for me, this is, this is such a word. I want to bless 
I want to bless the saints of God. I want to be a blessing. Because when you bless those that God is blessed, you'll be blessed by God. I remember meeting Nancy Sylvester and Dave in England. And at the time they were living in a house that was about 400 square feet, (laughs) tiny home. But then it wasn't a blessing. But they were living there and they had left all, left a house, left security in Arizona uh, to be in Bradford, England, which wasn't the nicest part of England. They had sacrificed everything from their savings, everything to live there. And I remember just hearing their story and I thought, I want to bless these people. I, I, I know that God's hand is on them and I want to be, I want to bless them because maybe if I stand close enough, the shower of blessings will splash on me too. I want to bless Beth more because she's been a blessing to so many and she's blessed by God. I don't want to get a curse. You know, I just don't think it's, it's safe to curse anyone, is it? Because if you curse somebody that God has blessed, whoa. Wouldn't it be better to be a people that blesses everybody? Wouldn't it be better just to get in the practice of blessing others and bringing the blessing of Jesus to them? You know, if cursing can become habitual, can it? It just can. Like, ah, darn it, dang it. You know, it can just become our reaction to everything. We open, you know, the door slams. Ah, you know, rats. <laughs> you know, or we can't see out our window because it's, you know, the sun's shining in it. Rats. See, so, you know, you know every, our whole life can become about rats, <laughs> which aren't a blessing. Don't you want to be those who bless and not those who curse? Don't you want the blessings that are falling on others to be splashed on you? You know, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What would you like? To be blessed. Me too. I want to be blessed. And if I want to be blessed, then I need to get in the habit of blessing others. I want to encourage others. So they'll say, oh, there's Cheryl. Let's encourage her. Yes. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's going to start again with one man and one barren woman. And he's going to create a lineage that will save the world. Oh, God starts his greatest work with small things. An old man and an old woman following the call of God will result in the Savior of the world. Jesus, the Messiah, the blessing, the greatest blessing of the whole earth will come through the lineage of Abram. God protects Abram and Sarah, even in Egypt. He preserves them through the famine. He enriches them through the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he plagues Pharaoh's house in order to set Sarah free and protect Abram. In chapter 13, back in Canaan, 
After Lot leaves, God speaks to Abram and says in Genesis 13, 14 through 17, lift your eyes now, lift your eyes now. Perhaps Abram was looking down. Perhaps he was so sad over the separation, but God says, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, northward, southward. Following God's call may bring challenging and dangerous situations. We may experience fear and doubt. Faith doesn't eliminate fear, but it does give us an opportunity to bring every one of those fears to God and see Him work. Abraham was afraid for his life at times, so much so that he surrendered Sarah to Pharaoh's harem. His faith didn't make him perfect or fearless, but in those times of weakness and faltering, he found God faithful. The same is true for us today. If we fail or fear, God is near and faithful to us. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll continue our look at God's call to Abraham as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.